It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. Email the show, L-O Thunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, 405-362-7128, 405 362 7128. On today's show, brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on. Get 20% off your next order. We're going to dive into the Thunder having yet another game postponed this season due to COVID 19. We're going to talk about the challenges the NBA face as they're moving forward in this season. We're going to talk about the three darlings of this season for Oklahoma City and how we would rank them moving forward with the future of this team and we're going to have a twitter mailbag on today's episode this is locked on thunder the only daily podcast about the oklahoma city thunder so let's talk about the postponement the 76ers are dealing with contact tracing after playing the memphis grizzlies on saturday they could not play on sunday in oklahoma city after the teams were already warming up Um, this game will get rescheduled in the second half of the year Uh, this is a postponement and this is what the nba plan for. This is why the NBA scheduled two separate halves of this season. But this is not going away and games keep getting postponed and postponed and postponed and you do not magically have more dates in the second half of the season to get all these games played. Even beyond the Thunder who right now only have two games to make up, other teams have like a week worth of games to get to get made up throughout the rest of the second half. And so the NBA faces these challenges of having no great option. They have a lot of them, but they don't have a great one, which is the case for almost everything in this day and age right now. But your first option 
is to just keep chugging along, just act like it's business as usual, and find a way to piece together 70 games. Even if you have to cancel two games per team that you just do not make up, get to that 70 marker, satisfy the TV partners, and count your losses in terms of the money you've spent on all the other resources to get to that point. Count your losses on competitive advantages and disadvantages if you want to take it to a basketball aspect of it and just continue to plug away until you get to 70 and then hope for the best in the postseason. The second option is to simply pause the season right now today and reset. Just hit the good old-fashioned reset button. The problem with this option is you have these players in a certain structure. Now, how good is the structure? How good is the protocol? As George Hill said, these are all grown men, and they're going to make grown men decisions. You cannot force them to do anything uh, that is abiding by your protocols. It's about the character of each individual person to make the safest decision possible for himself and for his teammates and his family and their families. But resetting everything and pausing everything, you would now lose that base structure. We talk about not having control over players and players being grown men, but when they're on the road, teams do have more control than whenever they're in their home market. So that's at least half your schedule where you are kind of forcing them to abide by your protocols. But pausing the season, while it seems logical, there's also difficulties with that method because you lose that structure, you lose those protocols, and then look what happened when these players reported back to training camp. There was a huge uprise in COVID cases that died down into the holiday season. So you could also go back to point one and say, well, we can just continue to kick the can down the road because outside of this holiday period, the numbers were good. And so it's just a one-off thing of these players went and they had Christmas and they had New Year's and they had whatever else other kind of gatherings during the holidays. And we're going to get past that and we're going to be fine. But who knows if that's legitimate? Number three is you end the season altogether and lose millions, billions, and trillions of dollars. That's not going to happen. And then number four is the most polarizing option, which is you simply get everyone vaccinated. The problem is the NBA is not going to mandate vaccinations. They don't even mandate, I believe that Matt Moore of Lockdown Nuggets checked this out. They don't even mandate you having every shot, you know, like they don't don't check what players shot records are the same way a school might or, or whatever. The NBA doesn't seem to do that according to what I believe Matt Moore found out. So we've heard all along throughout this entire process that the league will not mandate taking a vaccine for COVID-19. So there could be players who simply do not want the vaccine, but let's just operate under the assumption of this utopic idea that every single player in the entire NBA, every single coach in the entire NBA, every single person affiliated with the NBA is going to want a vaccine and going to do anything they can to get a vaccine. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, the players have opted into a vaccine. Here's where the difficulty becomes. I have no doubt in my mind that the NBA physically could get their hands on vaccines. Look, we're throwing out vaccines in certain places. So to me, getting vaccines to anyone, even professional athletes who are totally healthy, is more valuable than throwing them away. But nonetheless, we can all agree there is a PR hit to be had if the NBA players announce tomorrow they're getting the vaccine. If the NBA announces tomorrow that every single player will get the opportunity to be vaccinated, that is going to take a PR hit. If the NBA announces, look, we have the t- we have all the vaccines, we're going to issue them out today, and by tomorrow every single player will be vaccinated, they're still going to take a PR hit. And to me, it might be a worthwhile one to take because you do have science on your side and you do have facts on your side. 
2,500 vaccines are made per minute from just one company alone. That is 3.6 billion per day. I understand why on the surface level that Grayson Allen getting poked with a needle and getting the COVID vaccine will be seen as cutting the line whenever your 85-year-old grandmother is stuck at home in the midst of all this COVID nonsense. But the NBA really would have to deal with people being mad online for, at this rate, in the clip we're going in America with all of these different reasons to be upset online for about 20 hours until the next story emerges. To me, vaccines going to players over getting thrown out and getting thrown away and not used is a much better resource. I mean, it's a much better use of those vaccines to go into Kevin Durant's arm rather than nobody's arm. But it would be a massive PR hit and be seen as the NBA jumping the line. So I don't think you'll see the NBA do that. And I don't know when the NBA will feel comfortable issuing out the vaccines. Like They could have them factually. They could have them tomorrow. They could do them tomorrow. To the question that I got asked from at BlackDolphin5 on Twitter, uh, when do you think NBA players will get vaccinated? They could get vaccinated tomorrow. But the PR hit of it is still going to be too much to, for them to bear because people will look at this as surface level. And again, I'm, I'm by no means a healthcare professional. I am by no means uh, somebody who is an expert on any viruses, much less COVID or any vaccine, much less the COVID vaccine. Uh, but to me, if you're throwing out vaccines, there's a better use for them than that. And it could just very well be protecting the NBA players. And while they are young and healthy, they are walking super spreaders every single day. They're traveling across the country. Some of them are not abiding by any protocols, much less the NBA protocols. But I do understand how that was how that would be perceived as bad press and how that's just not really a viable option right now, uh, just due to the PR hit. I think that the NBA is going to go with option one. They're going to continue to just march on down the road and hope for the best. And for me, you just got to trust them at this point. The NBA has that trust instilled in them. Adam Silver is the best commissioner in sports. And you just have to wait and see how this all unfolds. And you're going to have nights like tonight where you're sitting down to watch the Thunder game and the Thunder are not on. But that's the trade-off of this season. That's what's going to happen all year long. I want to talk about the Thunder's culture, though, real quick, because uh, this is something that gets lost in the middle of the 22-point comeback on Friday night. But every single player talked about George Hill's halftime pep talk, you know, halftime speech in the locker room. And Mark had a really passionate answer to a question, just talking about how resilient this team is and how much that they care about the logo and how much they care about wearing the jersey and how much they care about representing this city. And... The Thunder have always had this very college feel to them. They've always felt like a college team because college sports are the only sports we've ever known in Oklahoma. And so we've kind of rallied around them the same way a college team, you know, the same way a college town rallies around a team. And to have somebody like Mark as the head coach of this team that truly embraces that and truly seemingly cares about the tradition and cares about the culture this team has built and wants to continue that and wants to continue this within the community and all that the Thunder have done with this community is very encouraging. And to see a veteran like George Hill and to see guys on this team, again, how many Diallo's the most tenured player on this team, to see this team still care about all the tradition and still care about all the culture stuff, all, all the all of the working hard, being resilient, being scrappy, fighting back stuff that the Thunder are built on, that Nick Collison built with this organization. To see all of that still be alive and well on a team that has its backbone on Hamadou Diallo who was 
just drafted in 2018 and is already your longest tenured player, has a brand new head coach and has veterans who are seemingly playing meaningless games here, just biding time until they can get to their next destination, to see that even George Hill, who we can all agree will be dealt by March and can really help a competitive and, and, a, and a contending team, is still taking his time to invest in these games and invest in this culture and invest in this organization and make those 22-point comebacks and quote-unquote meaningless games, that's a big deal. And that's why nobody should worry about the future of this team, about the direction of this team, about this team becoming the New York Knicks. I mean, that's a big fear whenever you throw out the word tanking or you throw out the word rebuilding. The big fear is you're going to get stuck in this purgatory that the Kings have, that the Knicks have, that's not the case with the Thunder. The Thunder are just different, top to bottom. They are different. They have a culture. They have a precedent. They have smart people in charge. And this is all going to be fine. Whenever you can get George Hill to buy into this team, whenever you can get these players to buy into a rebuilding year, that says a lot about your culture. We always talk about heat culture. That's even their hashtag, heat culture. But the Thunder have a heck of a culture in their own right. So I want to talk about the three darlings who are just stealing the hearts of the heartland and who I am most buying into and who I'm least buying into of the three darlings of this season. And we're going to do the Twitter mailbag coming up. But first, I want to tell you my good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a phenomenal protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Get 20% off your next order. I love Built Bars. I got a new uh, care package of Built Bars to get the new year started off right. They are delicious. They are filling. They have that new recipe. They have new flavors. The Built Bars are just phenomenal, and I cannot recommend them enough. They have six brand new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. The Built Bars are soft and easy to chew with 100% real chocolate on the outside, Great for the health conscious person to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for the keto diet. So check them out today at BillBar.com. Use promo code Locked On. You're going to get 20% off your next order. Promo code Locked On, 20% off your next order at BillBar.com. Wilson, you sent the game winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We are back on Locked on Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. When this podcast is over, check out Locked on Bets 2020 is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked on Bets podcast with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked on Bets wherever 
you get your podcast from. So I want to talk about the three players who have just stolen the heart of Thunder fans so far this season, just coming out of nowhere to be the surprise players. That's, of course, Kenrich Williams, Diallo, and Isaiah Roby. How would you rank these three players moving forward? If you had to bet right now which of them has sustainability, which of them has a future in the NBA as a whole, and for the center team, how would you rank them? One to three. With, of course, one being the most sustainable and the best player. For me, it should be no surprise that I have Isaiah Roby number one. I think that Isaiah Roby still is not even playing in the position that he should be at the NBA level. And so whenever you see him move to that four full time, he'll get even better. Isaiah Roby has never had a start in which he has not put up double digit points. He is a competitive defender down there, even at 6'8", playing against grown men, playing against NBA caliber bigs. He is still competitive down low and contesting shots at the rim, which is all you can truly ask from him. He's a plus offensive player who can pick and pop. He can shoot the three ball confidently. He can get to the rim, finish at the rim. He can be a plus passer for you as you saw him make a few good passes on Friday. I really like what Roby can do with the Thunder moving forward. Still a young player, only 22 years old. Number two, Hamdou Diallo. I think that with Diallo, you see that he has potential. You see he has tools, but with him... You have to get him to be consistent. And really, it's just being consistent with his mindset. Like, he cannot fall back into bad habits of being a selfish player and jacking up jumpers and playing outside of himself. He kind of gets too amped up sometimes. You need to play at an even keel level with him and Diallo. Some players can handle it whenever they get jacked up. Players can handle it whenever they get excited. But Diallo can't. Whenever he gets revved up, you see the worst in Diallo and not the best. I think that as long as he's limiting the jump shots and he's limiting the amount of times he's handling the basketball and being the focal point of the offense in the sense of a point guard position, as we've seen him do with the second unit this, this year, whenever you're limiting that, he can be a really good player for the second unit's sake. And then number three is Kenny Hustle. I do want to give Kenny Hustle a lot of credit. I asked him today in the media availability before the game that did not end up happening. I asked him, you know, how do you stay ready? You, you've seen games in which... You've played in three minutes, you've played in seven minutes, you've played in 27 minutes. You've been all over the place in terms of how many minutes you're getting per game. How do you just stay ready? And he attributed some of this to Etuan Moore, his veteran in, in New Orleans. And he just mentioned that he goes into every game thinking he's going to play. And that preparation for him is awesome. And Williams is going to steal the hearts of Thunderland for the rest of the season because he's that blue-collar player who gives hustle and intensity and effort every single day. You can tell he prepares for these opponents and he, and he prepares for each matchup. He understands what to look for and exploit and how to combat defenses and diagnose offenses. He's a really good defensive player, albeit a small sample size. Kendrick Williams holds the best defensive rating in the league at 90 while holding opposing players to the second lowest three-point percentage, 26.1%, and the sixth lowest field goal percentage, 41.4%, minimum 100 minutes play. That's from the Thunder game notes and the Thunder PR staff. He's a really good defender, but I question how much of that is sample size. I also do not love anything he does offensively. Like with Diallo, you can make him a really good cutter. He can get to the basket. He's getting to the free throw line a heck of a lot more this season, which is in turn making him a more productive offensive player. With Roby, he's phenomenal in that dunker spot in offenses. He's also a capable shooter who can at least allow 
uh, Fives to respect him. And as he points out that whenever Fives have to come out and contest with him, whenever they step out on the perimeter, he then is quick enough to take advantage of them and dribble and you know take them off the dribble and go to the lane and go to the rim. You can pick out ways how Roby and Diallo will be good enough offensive players and good offensive players. With Williams, I struggle to see a pathway for him to be a good offensive player, even though I can make the case that he can be one of the best bench defenders in the NBA. So it's an interesting dilemma with him, and I want to see how he progresses. I think he has a, a role in the NBA, but I'm not sure it's a key contributor once a team is competent and, and, and a team is competitive. But you do have to tip your cap to the amount of times that he hustles and, and how ready he is. That is an extremely hard thing to do. And we've seen players not deal with it well. The uncertainty of how many minutes you're going to get, if you're going to get minutes, and when the matchup will come. In this game, on Friday, the Thunder had to leave their starters out there longer in the third quarter, which messes up your rotation, which puts Williams on the floor with starting-level players in the NBA. And then you went with Williams to close out the game in overtime. In the start of the season... No one should have had Williams being a part of that closing rotation, and yet here he was. He got thrown into the mix because of those rotational patterns being disrupted, and he was prepared for it. He did not just prepare to face off against the back end of the Bulls rotation. He prepared for every single player on this roster. He understood every single matchup, and that's why he was able to provide you valuable minutes, and that's why he was good enough to stay in that game and not blow the game for you. Because Kendrick Williams, if he does not play well, in those minutes that you extend him in the fourth quarter, then the Thunder just cannot come back and the Bulls extend their lead and the game is over. But instead, Williams plays fantastic defense on every single possession and locks down his man and is a versatile defender, and the result was he helped you win the game Friday. My big thing with him that makes him number three is, again, love the defense, love the hustle, but the issue is I cannot find that role for him offensively, at least not yet. We're still early on. We'll see if he can develop that. I want to tell you right now, but our good friends over at betonline.ag, the NFL postseason is in full swing right now. It's the conference championship games already. My Kansas City Chiefs held on. They survived Cleveland, and they're going to take on Buffalo. So you can bet on that game at betonline.ag. You can bet on the Packers and Bucks game at betonline.ag. You can bet on any single NBA game, college basketball game. MLB future bets, all you could ever want at betonline.ag. You can go over there right now. It's the one place that has you covered, the one place that we trust. Betonline.ag. Sent today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use promo code locked on for our 50% welcome bonus. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Do not forget to use our promo code locked on for our 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Betonline, your online sportbook experts. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free.
That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We are back on the Locked On Thunder podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. On tomorrow's show, we're going to preview the game against the Denver Nuggets. On Wednesday's show, we will recap that contest. On Thursday's show, we will talk about what we've learned so far this season. And on Friday's show, it is another edition of Stock Watch Friday. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. It's time right now for a Twitter mailbag. This one comes from at Kenny L. Moore one Is SGA's improvement changing the rebuild timeline after the 2021 draft? I thought the win now mode would start in 2022. If we are lucky now, I'm thinking that we can move it up to 2021 to keep SGA happy, which he will want and will be worth it. Plus the strides of Dort and the flashes of Baisley. That is from Kenny L. Moore one. So this is an interesting question. I think that it's becoming clearer to those of you who are not on board already that this is not going to take five years. This is not going to take 10 years. This is a one to two year fix. And after those one to two years, you still have a plethora of draft talent and capital to make a big splash in the trade market to add those veterans around these young pieces that you need to win. So it does depend a lot on what happens in 2021. If you end up with Cade Cunningham and with Jonathan Kaminga, then yeah, you've totally changed your trajectory. But no matter what happens, you're not a win-now team next year in the 2021 season. You'll be a competitive playoff team, but you will not be a win-now, win-a-championship this year or not next year. Um, after the 2022 class, it depends on what, what you do in these two drafts, if you hit on your picks. Then also, as we mentioned before, you have the capital to go trade for a star or trade for an all-star to bolster this roster even more beyond the young players on it. Uh, but I, I think that this is still going to be a one to two year fix and they're going to be back to cooking just like normal. It's why that personally, I can't see the benefit of being mediocre to me tanking quote unquote, and, and just losing games and giving yourself the best chance possible at Cade Cunningham is way more valuable than a first round exit. Because if you have Cade Cunningham next to Shea and Dorton Basley, plus you have whoever you get with the Rockets pick or, or the Miami Heat pick, then all of a sudden, your team is built. The foundation is built. That's not even including Tail Maldon and Poku. The foundation is there. What comes next is the fun part. The fun part is trading for solidified NBA players. As far as keeping Shea happy, look, that, that's just too early to talk about. I understand we're in the day and age of player empowerment, but Shea is going to accept the contract. The Thunder are going to max him. He's going to accept the max. And then they're going to go from there. It's simply too early to talk about making players happy. And the Thunder have done nothing but make players happy. They've done nothing but bend over backwards for Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and Paul George. They've never had a problem with players. So I don't think they're going to have one with Shea. He's going to be happy. But you're also still playing in Oklahoma City. So he easily could still be happy here and also want to go play in L.A. Or also... Want to go play in New York. Even if you do everything right, Shea could still want to leave. He also could want to stay here for his entire career. I don't know what Shea wants. Shea doesn't know what Shea wants. That's a lot of time in NBA terms. He has not even started his second contract yet. 
a second contract, which he's going to get and he's going to sign. You have a long time to think about what Shea wants, and so does he. His, his wants and desires can change between now and five years from now, six years from now. Start prematurely playing the musical chairs of keeping Shea happy. You've got to do what this organization has done throughout their entire history. In their entire history, they've always done what's best for themselves and their players. That's why they have such a great reputation. But yeah, the rebuild is going to take a year or two. And then you'll be a competitive playoff team. And then you'll try to make that next step. And then you'll try to be a championship team. And away we go. But to me, what Shea did this year and what he's done so far this year solidify the fact of he can play with anybody. If you need him to be the go-getter and you need him to be the top overall guy and you need him to be the point guard, I should say, and you need him to be the driving force of your offense, he can do that. If you want to draft Jalen Suggs, he can play off ball. If you want to draft Cade Cunningham, he can play off ball. If you want to draft a big, he can play on ball. Shea can do it all. Shea can change his identity offensively to best fit the team. And Shea proved that he is a selfless player, that he will do what's best for the team. So if you draft Cade Cunningham and he turns out to be a franchise-changing guy, a all-NBA, all-world guy, Shea will gladly be the number two option. I don't know much about what Shea feels, but I think that I can say this pretty confidently that he only cares about winning. But yes, I still believe this rebuild takes one to two years, uh, but the 2021 class is big. Look, there's a there's a world in which the Thunder are too competitive and they're too good and they wind up with their own pick at pick 10 and the Rockets are either A, really bad and have great lottery odds or B, have lottery luck the same way the Pelicans did and leap up to the top four to where then you're stuck with your mediocre pick at pick 10 and the Heat pick at pick 16 at best, which I think is unlikely, but that is a question that we got from one of our listeners, which was at TAS87. They ask, how close of an eye should we be keeping on Miami and their pick? With their current health issues, can they turn this around? Or will this end up being a lottery pick? So I still believe in Miami. They have a lot of talent and they're too well coached to be a bad team. Uh, the the health issues are, are a thing all in itself. I think that even with everything that we know to date about the Miami Heat, that there's still going to be at worst a, you know, 11th seed in the East. I mean, if things just totally absolutely went wrong for them and just they had the worst case scenario to me, that worst case scenario is still the 11th seed. I mean, that's with a ton of health issues. And at best, they're still a top four seed. And so you average that out and find the truth somewhere in the middle. They're going to be a playoff team and their pick should be irrelevant, hopefully, unless the Rockets leap up to the top four. And that's why the wins and losses for the Thunder will be very interesting because there is a scenario that you hit just the absolute worst luck of all time. You're too competitive. The ball bounces your way too much. You win too many games. The Rockets get incredible lottery luck and you have the Thunder at pick eight, nine, and you have the Heat pick at pick 20. And that's your two picks in this loaded 2021 class. There's that scenario out there. But in general, I would not keep an eye on the Miami Heat this season, unless you just like watching them play. But the next question from at Sam B Winchester for this year's team, 
where would Ty Jerome fit in this rotation? So I've thought about this a lot, and I'm going to ask Mark whenever Ty Jerome is active, because I've asked Mark about Ty Jerome before, and at this point it feels kind of repetitive to continue to ask him about him. So I'm going to wait until Ty Jerome is healthy and actually active, because Mark has mentioned before that he likes the 10-man rotation, which is what he runs right now. And so the question becomes, how does Ty Jerome fit into that in the sense of, do you now add an 11th man? Do you now bump somebody out of that 10-man rotation? And if that's the option, who do you bump out? Because I still want Teo Maldon getting minutes. I still want Diallo getting minutes. So where does the guard minutes come from for Ty Jerome? Now, this gets a lot easier in March whenever you trade George Hill. But until then, how do you work in Ty Jerome? I think one option could be that you go smaller. And so you reduce the Kenny Hustle minutes and you play a small lineup that at sometimes has you playing Teo and and you have Teo out there, you have Jerome out there, you have Diallo out there, Poku out there, Muscala out there, or some some form of those guys out there at the same time, and that's how you squeeze Jerome into the rotation. But it will be interesting to see what Mark does whenever he does have Jerome healthy eventually. At Kyle for real asks, obviously. Cade is the top prospect on our draft list, uh, but if we get the second or third pick instead of the first pick, should we consider going with Evan Mobley, mentioning that this team just kind of looks small? I am going to be honest with you, I have a personal bias against big men in the terms of the draft. I, I just, you've seen too many of them not live up to the hype and not live up to expectation. For me, I also factor in how versatile everyone on this team is. Shea can play a multitude of positions. Lou Dort can play a multitude of positions. And Darius Baisley can play a multitude of positions to where I feel comfortable drafting the best player available and not drafting for positional need because I think that you can fix your your lack of size elsewhere and not at number two overall in the draft. And for me, I would go with Jalen Green, who is my number two prospect, but also I like Jalen Suggs a lot more. I like uh, Jonathan Kaminga a lot more than Mobley. Again, I will admit my, my biases and say that it's probably really unfair of me to hold everyone else against Mobley, but I just have this trepidation of drafting a big man and I think that you can easily get by with controllable free agents and gettable free agents for the small market teams to fix your big man need for now, rather than, quote unquote, wasting a top three pick on a big man. But Mobley will be somebody who is going to be interesting to talk about because I understand your point of this team is really small and they lack depth at the big man position and they lack even a starting level big beyond Al Horford. And even with Al Horford, they seem to be way too small to, to compete in, in certain matchups. But he'll be interesting to to evaluate moving forward. Mobley will because there's a lot of people who love him. Like a lot of people really, really like this guy. So when a lot of people like him, I'm probably the one that's off here. I just view it the same way I view drafting running backs. And I really don't like that. And I'd much rather have Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green. And again, even Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, but another question comes from at Jimmy Minz. Can you discuss Hamidou Diallo's contract situation? And I'm not really sure what you mean by this. Um... If you mean the kind of contract he's on at this very moment right now, sure. Uh, he's getting paid $1.6 million and he's a restricted free agent next year. What that means is nobody can sign him outright. He cannot just go join a new team next year. If, say, the Mavericks want to sign Diallo, the Mavericks can certainly sign him, but the Thunder would have the opportunity to match that deal, give him the exact same contract, and force him to play in Oklahoma City rather than in Dallas. 
Uh, for this, I would expect Diallo to come back on a contract extension and not even test free agency or not even go to the process of having the Thunder match him. Uh, and if he does get a new contract from someone else, I do not expect that to be out of this world. He's not going to get paid a ton of money and it's going to be easy to, it's going to be easily matchable by the Thunder. So I do think that Diallo stays around next season. Uh, the price point varies. It doesn't really matter to me right now what his price point's at. I just think it's in the realm of what Oklahoma City would be ready to pay, especially with their very, very, very clean cap sheet next year, which is so incredible to see on uh, all these different cap sites. But I hope that that answers your question. I don't really understand it all that well, so I just kind of covered all my bases there with the present contract and future contract from him. If I did not answer your question, DM me and I'll further explain whatever questions you might have about Amadou Diallo's contract. Uh, so, the next question from James uh, Sakaski. I'm so sorry for mispronouncing that. Any thoughts on trading for Marvin Bagley? I feel like with his situation in Sacramento, uh, we could get him pretty cheap. Cheap is going to be questionable because I, I do think that even though talent-wise and production-wise, he should not be viewed this way, but name recognition-wise and where he was drafted-wise, the Sacramento Kings will value him more than the Nets valued Jarrett Allen. And so for me, it becomes pretty cut and clear. If the Kings only want a future first-round pick being like one future first-round pick, go ahead and do it. Trade one future first-round pick and get Bagley on a, on a rental. I don't see the, the Kings having it that low of an, of an offer and that low of a um, price point on Bagley. And so if they want anything more than one future first-round pick, I'm out on this on this sweepstakes because I think that John, uh, John Collins is more valuable and is better than Marvin Bagley. And I think that the Thunder with that very clean offer sheet can max out John Collins at no repercussions and force the Hawks to make a tough decision. They do not max him and you get John Collins for almost nothing other than money. Collins has been more productive at this point than Bagley. He looks like a more NBA caliber player than Marvin Bagley. And he does not come with the baggage that Bagley does off the court. Plus, SGA is like literally everything that John Collins wants to play wants to play with. So you've got to love that aspect of it as well. But for me, if it's one future first round pick that's just way down the road from the Clippers, go ahead. If not, now let's move on from Bagley uh, for me personally. But I also did not value Bagley coming out of college. So that's my bias there. The last question comes from Postalweight11. Uh, trade scenarios for George Hill and Al Horford. For, for Al Horford, I'm not going to answer this part of it right now because I just do not view him getting traded in season. I don't see a way for the money to work out in season and that this will be something that happens in the offseason, to which case you would have to wait and see. Because if you would have asked me a year ago at this time if Chris Paul would be a son by the next offseason, I would have said no. So who knows what mystery team pops up for Al Horford. Uh, but for George Hill, he can fit on any team in the league. He brings that veteran leadership he brings that readiness and he's capable of altering his play style, altering his minutes to suit each team. And that's going to be very valuable for him. I look at a team like Dallas that could really use his help in sense of getting scoring in their second unit. But with Dallas, we still have not seen their entire roster be fully healthy at one time. So who knows exactly what they truly need and don't need. But from the early portion of this season, that's what I think that they could use as a George Hill type player. But any contending team could use George Hill, and he'll be very gettable for a cheap price, and it'll be well worth whatever it takes to get George Hill to a contending team. If I can handpick one of those teams for this trade scenario, it'd be Dallas, because I think that the return is the same no matter where you go. It's matching salaries, and it's a future second-round pick or three second-round picks. It's whatever 
seconds teams can give up. And if it's all equal and it's all the same, I would like to see him in Dallas. I think that that's a role he could thrive in. Thank you all for sending in questions to the Twitter mailbag. It really helps uh, on this kind of impromptu mailbag show that I got so many responses quickly because I needed to hop on here and have a third segment. And we did just that. And actually we ran well over time. Thanks to all of your great questions. I'm so sorry, Nick, for running over time, but be sure to check back tomorrow as we preview the first game of the road trip against the Denver Nuggets and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore style so you do not miss the next call for mailbag questions. We'll see you tomorrow. Be good and be good to one another. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.